It is time for the children's message now. If you're a child, we want you to come and have a seat right up here. Every Sunday, if you're new here and don't know what we're doing, we do a special little sermon for our kids. So you're all welcome to come up here. All right. Good to see you guys. How y'all doing today? Good. Got a couple more? Come on up here. Hey, guys. I'm so happy to see you all. I'm so glad that we could be in church today. That was pretty cool back there, right, today, that baptism. I'm going to talk about that in a minute. You don't know what's back there? Oh, I'll t- you could have a tour after church if you want. I could show you. A tour? Oh, that's where I show you around. Yeah, we'll do it later. So, okay, all the kids that want a tour after church at the baptismal, I'd be happy to show you. All right, so. Let's get back on track. You guys are, you got me on a rabbit trail. Here we go. So that's all right. That's all right. When, when you guys wake up in the morning, um, you know, during the school year, you know, when you got to go to school, you probably have a purpose when you wake up, right? Or are there some things that you need to accomplish when you wake up in the morning? What are some things that you have to do when you get up in the morning? All right. You had your hand up first, Abijah. What do you got to do when you wake up in the morning? Do all this. You have a list. Oh, that sounds very formal. That's great. A list. They got a list. Sophie, you got to brush your teeth. Um, Make up your bed. bed. Eat breakfast. breakfast. Uh, Walk and feed the dog. Walk and feed the dog. I'll come. Oh, yeah, the Berlanga list. Okay. Change your clothes. Yeah. Take a shower. Brush your hair. Is that, did we just about cover everything? So you wake up every day, right? And you have this purpose, right? A purpose are the things that you have to do that day to accomplish your tasks, right? So you wake up and you probably have your own purpose. Your parents probably have a purpose for you, right? Do they ever have to tell you to do something that you forget? What's something that you forget and they tell you, hey, go do this? Make your bed. Sometimes you forget that's part of your purpose. What do you have to do that you forget on your list? You do everything every day. A man is not in, I don't see Amanda, but she would testify that, yes, the purpose happens. One more, Sophie. Feed the dog. You forget sometimes to feed the dog, so I have to remind you of your purpose. Let me tell you guys something, okay? If you have more ideas, you can tell me those ideas in a, in a minute, okay? Hey, come back here. I don't trust you back there. Yeah. <laughs> Kia, I need to be able to see you out of the corner of my eye. So... Did you know that God has a purpose for you? Did you know that? It was demonstrated, or we saw that happen just before. What did we do back there in that, in that little mini jacuzzi back there? What did we do? We baptized. Did you know that God has a purpose for you? God loves you. God's primary purpose for your life is for you to turn from your sin and place your faith in Jesus as your Savior. And then, after that, to follow through with baptism. And you know what? God's got a lot of other really cool stuff for you. You know, he has a purpose for you to give him glory, to worship him, to have joy inside of your heart every single day. Did you know that? That's God's purpose for you. So just like you wake up every day and do your list, you do the chores that you have to do before you get up to go to school or wherever you're going to do, God has a purpose for your life. That's to love him, to be loved by him, and to have a relationship with Jesus, all right? So, God has a purpose for you. You can catch me after church, okay? We're almost done.
Almost done. All right, so remember that God has a purpose for you. That's what I'm going to talk to all the adults about today, about God's purpose. All right, so you want to know what the word of the day is? Ready? Word of the day today, purpose. All right, thank you for coming up here. You can go back and sit down now. You can let me know after church. All right, I appreciate our kids for coming up for their exuberance. They usually have a lot to say, and it's very exciting. We're in the gospel, or the, sorry, we are in the book of Acts this morning. If you have a copy of God's Word, take it out with me to the book of Acts, chapter 27. Originally, I had planned to move through 27 and 28 today, um, but we're going to kind of focus on 27 as the Lord leads. But as we look at um, Acts chapter 27, I want to give you a brief summary of what we covered thus far toward the end of the book of Acts. Paul has been illegally arrested, illegally beaten by his brothers in Jerusalem. Uh, he's been illegally tried and found himself in front of a Roman leader named Festus for another trial uh, during which he presented uh, his evidence. Uh, the people against him presented their evidence. Festus and Agrippa found that Paul had done absolutely nothing wrong. However, Paul believed uh, that he probably wouldn't receive a fair trial um, in Caesarea, which is very near Jerusalem, under the pressure of his Jewish brethren. So he appealed, he used his, his, uh, Roman, the Roman law to make an appeal to Caesar. And so Festus, even though Paul was not guilty of anything, nor were any substantial charges brought against him, uh, Festus probably thought it was a little bit easier for him to get Paul out of his hair. So Festus, the, um, the Roman governor at the time in that area, sends Paul away. He's going to send him away to Rome so he could appeal uh, in front of Caesar. Most of the content in the last two chapters of the book of Acts is devoted to a description of Paul's journey by sea from Caesarea all the way to Rome. So he could appear before the most powerful man in the world, a man named Caesar. At that time, we believe that Nero was the Caesar or the ruler of Rome at that time. And so he would have appeared before Nero, who, by chance, was also one of the cruelest, most horrific leaders of Rome ever. He's also probably the one who murdered Paul. Paul was one of the most brilliant, faithful people to walk on this earth. The last two chapters of Acts demonstrate something in his character that I think you and I should emulate. And so over the next uh, few minutes here and maybe even next week and next week's sermon, we're going to look to answer two questions. So this first one that I want you to focus on today is, do I trust God's purpose for my life? Do I trust God's purpose for my life? And then next week, will I fulfill God's purpose for my life? Because they really go together. If you really did trust God's purpose for your life, then you would live it out. You would fulfill that. But in Acts 27, I think this explanation, this um, description of Paul's voyage from Caesarea to Rome is going to demonstrate one very, very important thing for us. 
It's going to cause you to answer that question in your own life. Do I trust God's purpose for my life? New Testament scholar and amateur yachtsman Scott J. Smith dedicated his life to the study of Paul's journey from Caesarea to Rome. After a thorough examination of it, he concluded that the account written by Luke in the book of Acts, that which we are going to read here in Acts chapter 27 and 28, is an accurate description of an actual voyage that someone would take to get from Caesarea to Rome. Take a copy of the Word of God and open it up with me to Acts chapter 27. Acts chapter 27. When it was decided that we were to sail to Italy, they handed over Paul and some other prisoners to a centurion named Julius of the Imperial Regiment. When we had boarded a ship of Adramitium, we put to sea, intending to sail to ports along the coast of Asia. Aristarchus, a Macedonian of Thessalonica, was with us. The next day we put in at Sidon, and Julius treated Paul kindly and allowed him to go to his friends to receive their care. When we had put out to sea from there, we sailed along the northern coast of Cyprus, because the winds were against us. After sailing through the open sea of off Sicilia and Pamphylia, we reached Myra of Lycia. There the centurion found an Alexandrian ship sailing for Italy and put us on board. Sailing slowly for many days with difficulty, we arrived at Nidus. Since the wind did not allow us to approach it, we sailed along the south side of Crete off Salmon. With still more difficulty, we sailed along the coast and came to a place called Fair Havens near the city of Lassia. Paul knew at this point in his journey that God intended for him to share the gospel with the Roman people. He also knew that God was going to give him a platform in front of the most powerful leaders of the Roman world. And I think, guys, if you guys have it, are you able to put that map up there? They're working on it. Okay. In a minute, there'll be a map on the screen, and it shows where Paul went as I describe it. If we're able to do that, you'll see that on the screens. Paul did not go on this trip on his own. Luke, the writer of the book of Acts, was with him, along with another believer named Aristarchus. The first leg of their journey was aboard a ship named the Adermitium, or from Adermitium, which was a seaport of Mysia. Thus far, and this is the interesting part of this first part of the text. If you think back, if you've been with us the last few weeks, you'll see God's hand at work in Paul's life. Paul went to Jerusalem because that's where God called him to go. Knowing that when he got to Jerusalem, he was to share the gospel and give an update of his faithful presentation of the gospel to the Gentile world. He knew when he went to Jerusalem that he would be arrested and ultimately put in chains for sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. And yet he went to Jerusalem. When he went into Jerusalem, very quickly he was arrested and beaten. 
And very soon after that, he would have been murdered by his Jewish brethren if it were not for the local commander of the Roman garrison. So he steps in and saves Paul from his own people. So many believe that the Romans were the Jews' enemies at this time, and they were harsh, and, and they did rule them with an iron fist. However, what we see first is God's hand at work and the fact that he could use anybody to accomplish his will for his glory. God wants Paul in Rome. One of the safest ways for Paul to get from Caesarea to Rome, in light of the fact that many, many people wanted to kill him, was to put him under the authority of the Roman leaders. And so that's exactly what God did. Paul was in chains, but Julius, the commander who was the one who was taking him to Rome, was gracious to Paul. He allowed Luke and Aristarchus and those who Paul met along the way to care for him to provide for his food, his water, any of the supplies he would need. As Paul went, as we read through Acts 27, in the cities that he stops in, Paul's allowed to minister and share the gospel. This is pretty amazing. God used the Gentile nation of Rome to both protect his missionary, transport his missionary to where he needed to go, and then along the way, give him platforms for the gospel, right? I just don't want you guys to miss that in this narrative, right? That's what God is doing in this just simple description. God is at work. And we're going to talk about how God does that in your life in a few minutes. All right, Acts chapter 27, now moving into verse 9. By now much time had passed, and the voyage was already dangerous. Since the Day of Atonement was already over, Paul gave his advice and told them, Men, I can see that this voyage is headed toward disaster and heavy loss, not only of the cargo and the ship, but also of our lives. But the centurion paid attention to the captain and the owner of the ship rather than what Paul said. Since the harbor was unsuitable to winter in, the majority decided to set sail from there, hoping somehow to reach Phoenix, a harbor on Crete facing the southwest and northwest to winter there. So the season for sea travel had come to an end, right? We have a season for sea travel here in Key West, right? We're, we're pretty fortunate to be able to go out on the water almost any time we want. However, there are seasons here when you wouldn't go out on the water. Right? We just passed through that season. It's toward like the end of the winter, right? When the winds are high, you can go out. You'll probably be okay, but maybe not. And then, of course, during hurricane season, right? There's a hurricane on the way. We're not going to go out for a day of fishing, right? Okay. Maybe some of you do. I don't. Well, here it mentions that the Day of Atonement um, had passed. And, and for them, that was late September, early October. That's when the seas over there in the Mediterranean begin to get rough. That's when they'll have very serious weather, the kind of weather that sinks ships. Remember, Paul's brilliant, right? He's not a foolish man. He's a brilliant man. Paul is also filled with the Holy Spirit, not to mention Paul repeatedly says that he was shipwrecked a time or two in the past. So Paul's floated in that sea once or twice in the past. He knows how Unlikely it is that he would want to do that again. And so he offers them some counsel. Maybe we should just hang back here in Fairhaven for this season until the bad winds blow past and then 
when the weather turns, we can sail just like everybody else. He also explains to them, if you don't listen to my advice, we are going to suffer heavy loss. This will not be an enjoyable time for us. Well, they don't listen to him. Instead, uh, Julius listens to the boat captain and the rest of the crew. It looks like sort of a democratic process. Everybody decides, nah, let's keep moving. We don't want to stay in Fairhaven. We want to get to Phoenix. It's better there. We can do a winter there. It'll be better. Let's do that. So they disregard uh, Paul's advice. Let's continue on in verse 13. When a gentle south wind sprang up, they thought they had achieved their purpose. They weighed anchor and sailed again along the shore of Crete. But before long, a fierce wind called, the north, called a northeaster. We know what those are like, right? Rushed down from the island. Since the ship was caught and unable to head into the wind, we gave way to it and were driven along. After running under the shelter of a little island called Cauda, we were barely able to get control of the skiff. After hoisting it up, they used ropes and tackle and girded the ship, fearing that they would run aground on the Sirtis. They lowered the drift anchor, and in this way they were driven along. Because we were being severely battered by the storm, they began to jettison the cargo the next day. On the third day, they threw the ship's tackle overboard with their own hands. For many days, neither the sun nor stars appeared, and the severe storm kept raging. Finally, all hope was fading that we were going to be saved. The port of Phoenix was only a few hours away. With a favorable south wind, they pulled anchor and they set sail. Soon, however, Paul's wisdom came to light and became a reality. They were caught up in a northeaster which was a winter storm that came through the Mediterranean Sea that produced hurricane-force winds. The crew prepared the boat for the worst, and finally, to lighten the load, they started to throw cargo overboard. And then after that, even the equipment needed to sail the ship. Morale was low, and most accepted that the possibility of dying at sea was high. So let's continue. Since they had been without food for a long time, Paul then stood up among them and said, You men should have followed my advice. That's funny, right? Paul was a bit of a sarcastic man. If you've not read any of his letters, he was sarcastic. And he told them so. You guys should have listened to me. But he had some encouragement. And not set sail from Crete and sustain this damage and loss. Now I urge you to take courage. Because there will be no loss of any of your lives, but only of the ship. For last night, an angel of the God I belong to and serve stood by me and said, Don't be afraid, Paul. It is necessary for you to appear before Caesar. And indeed, God has graciously given you all those who are sailing with you. So take courage, men, because I believe God will, because God, I believe God that it will be just the way it was told to me. But we have to run aground among, aground on some island. When the 14th night came, we were drifting in the Adriatic Sea, and about midnight the sailors thought they were approaching land. They took soundings and found it to be 300, or found it to be 120 feet deep. And when they had sailed a little further and sounded again, they found it to be 90 feet deep. 
Then fearing we might run aground on the rocks, they dropped four anchors from the stern and prayed for daylight to come. Some sailors tried to escape from the ship. They had let down the skiff into the sea, pretending that they were going to put out anchors from the bow. Paul said to the centurion and the soldiers, Unless these men, these men stay in the ship, you cannot be saved. Then the soldiers cut the ropes holding the skiff and let it drop away. When it was about daylight, Paul urged them all to take food, saying, Today is the 14th day that you have been waiting and going without food, having nothing to eat. So I urge you to take some food, for this is for your survival, since none of you will lose a hair from your head. After he said these things and taken some bread, he gave thanks to God in the presence of all of them. And after he broke it, he began to eat. They all were encouraged and took food for themselves. In all, there were 276 of us on the ship. When they had eaten enough, they began to lighten the ship by throwing the grain overboard into the sea. When daylight came, they did not recognize the land sighted, but they sighted a bay with a beach. They planned to run the ship ashore if they could. After cutting loose the anchors, they left them in the sea, at the same time loosening the ropes that held the rudders. Then they hoisted the foresail to the wind and headed for the beach. But they struck a sandbar and ran the ship aground. The bow jammed fast and remained unmovable, while the, while the stern began to break up by the pounding of the waves. The soldiers' plan was to kill the prisoners so that no one could swim away and escape. But the centurion kept them from carrying out their plan because he wanted to save Paul. And so he ordered those who could swim to jump overboard first and get to land. The rest were to follow, some on planks and some on debris from the ship. In this way, everyone safely reached the shore. Everything happened exactly the way that Paul described the deliverance from the storm was due to the providence of God and his preservation of the apostle for the witness before Caesar. What does Paul's voyage in Acts chapter 27 have to do with you and me? That's the question of the day. Do I trust God's purpose for my life? Look back at Acts chapter 27, verses 22 to 25. He said, now I urge you to take courage, because there will be no loss of any of your lives, but only of the ship. For last night, an angel of God I belong to came and stood, and served, uh, the God I belong to and served stood by me, and said, don't be afraid, Paul. It is necessary for you to appear before Caesar. And indeed, God has graciously given you all those who are sailing with you. Listen to verse 25. So take courage, men. So take courage, church. Because I believe God that it will be just the way it was told to me. Paul said, I believe God that it will be just as it was told to me. Do you believe that God has an amazing purpose for your life? Do you believe that God is going to do a great work in your life? I believe that. What does God want to do in your life? You know, many in our world are searching and seeking after purpose. 
And I'm here to tell you today, I'm here to encourage you today, church, that God has an amazing purpose for you. You want to hear about it? Let me brag about God for a minute and tell you about a few of his promises. First and foremost, and most importantly, our God desires for you to be born again. God desires for you to turn from your sin and to place your faith in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. God desires for you to receive His Holy Spirit, who comes to indwell all people who are born again by faith in Jesus. God desires for you to experience the fruits of that indwelling Holy Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, and self-control. God desires for you to receive very unique, special, spiritual gifts, which the Holy Spirit brings when He comes to you upon faith in Christ. God desires for you to use those gifts for the building up of His church. God desires for you to share the gospel. God desires for you to tell your friends, your families, your neighbors, and your coworkers all about what Jesus has done in your life. And hasn't Jesus done a lot in your life? Finally, God desires for you to be rewarded for your faithfulness. To receive gifts in heaven for fulfilling Jesus' gifting and calling upon your life. God desires for you to inherit eternal life and to spend eternity in his presence. We are not believers who need to seek and search after a purpose. Our God has given us a purpose and it's a good one. Do I trust God's purpose for my life? I don't know what kind of storm you're going through right now. I don't know what difficulty you've encountered. I've been through a few storms in my boat. Any boaters out there ever been through a storm? That's not real pleasant, right? You ever been through the kind of storm where you wonder if you're going to make it home? Those are tough. Right? What happens when we go through a storm? I remember I was out with a, another guy in our church, and it wasn't really a dangerous storm, but we were caught up in a storm. And the rain was like sideways, right? It wasn't just coming down. Somehow the wind picked it up and brought it straight into our face. And you know, when you're in a boat and you're exposed to the weather and there's a storm, you can't see anything. Did you know that? Like, you want to go somewhere, but you can't see anything. And let me just tell you, if you're, a, if you're a storm rookie, and one day you're going to be in your boat and you're in a storm, a dive mask doesn't work, just so you know. You know what happens when you put a dive mask on? It fogs up and you can't see anything at all. You can't see. It's hard to breathe. You have water coming down in your face. The wind's picked up the waves. It gets real serious Real quick. And you know the, the most dangerous or the most difficult thing about being in a storm here in Key West, and I've only been boating here for about four years, is our waters very quickly become very shallow. It's very easy to run aground. It's easy to hit coral head. It's easy to run over rocks. It's easy to run over stuff floating in the water. It, when you're in a storm and you can't see, things get serious real quick, right? It's like the same when you walk through a really difficult storm in life, Right? When you're walking through a tough part in life, it's hard to see what's next, isn't it? 
It's hard to make decisions right now with the pressure that you feel in that moment. It's during that time that we have to trust in God's promises in our life. Like in Camila's testimony, while she was waiting for God to answer that prayer, in accordance with his timing, his answer for her for a long time was wait and trust, trust and wait. Wait and trust, trust and wait. Believe in God's purpose for your life. And so the challenge I have for you today is to be able to say what Paul said in Acts 27, 25. I believe, God, that it will be just the way that it was told to me. We believe that God has a great purpose for our lives. We believe that God desires good things for us. It doesn't mean life will always be easy. In fact, all of us will walk through storms. But in the midst of a storm, we have a God who walks with us. We have a God who has a plan for us. And a good, good purpose. We're going to transition now to celebrate the Lord's Supper. As we do, I just I want to remind you of something that Paul did that you may have missed uh, here in the book of Acts. Specifically Acts chapter 27, verse 35. Paul, he tells them, you know, we're going to be okay. The God I served told me that I was going to make it to Caesar. Y'all didn't listen to me, but God's gracious, so y'all are going to get saved too. So, right, God really desired to save Paul, and then out of his graciousness, he saved the other 275 people on that boat. They're in the middle of a two-week storm, wondering if they're going to live. In Acts 27, 35, Paul tells everybody, y'all need to get something to eat, right? He's like the grandma of the boat, okay? He's like, it's been many days since you ate, and you're going to need your strength. Let me just read that passage for you again. After he said these things and had taken some bread, he gave thanks to God in the presence of all of them, and he broke it, and he began to eat. That sounds a lot like the Lord's Supper. I don't think Paul was celebrating the Lord's Supper on that ship, but what Paul was doing was he was demonstrating his faith in Jesus to see him through the storm. So in just a minute, we're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper. This is an opportunity for us to remember what God did for us by sending Jesus to die on the cross. It reminds us that he died there as a sacrifice that his body was broken, that his blood was shed, that it was poured out on our behalf. Jesus commanded us to celebrate this in remembrance of him and everything that he did for us on the cross. And so in just a moment, we're going to pass out these elements. The Bible also tells us not to take the celebration of the Lord's Supper lightly. It is something reserved for born-again believers so if you're not a believer in Jesus, we ask that you abstain from this. But we would love to tell you about how you can follow Christ. It's also for believers to prepare our hearts. To make things right with the Lord, with one another. And so as, in just a moment, as these elements are passed, 
I want to invite you to take this time to pray, make things right with the Lord, prepare your heart to celebrate his supper today.
Let's take the bread. On the night he was betrayed, Jesus took the bread and broke it and said, This is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in memory of me. Now the juice. After the supper had ended, he took the cup and said, This is the new covenant in my blood. Do this in memory of me. Lord Jesus, we praise your name. We give you glory as our Savior, the one who lived a perfect life, fulfilled God's law, died as a sacrifice on the cross. Your blood was shed as an atonement for our sins. You suffered there, died on that cross, were buried in the ground, and rose again on the third day. We love you and thank you for this reminder of your sacrifice and look forward to your return. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. We're now going to move into a time of invitation. If God has moved in your